What goes into making an iconic building in America? What are the stories and who are the people behind the next generation of architecture? If your work touches the real estate industry in any way, or you're just curious about what goes into one-of-a-kind cities and towns all across our country, join us on the American Building Podcast. In season two, we learn about everything from skyscrapers to single-family homes, from the famous and soon-to-be-famous designers and developers responsible for them. This season focuses particularly on the pandemic and how our buildings will change in response. Our sponsor is the iconic design firm, Michael Graves Architecture and Design. And now your host, award-winning architect turned entrepreneur, Atif Cotter, AIA. This is American Building, and I'm your host, Atif Cotter. I'm the CEO of Redis, a technology company focused on innovative public financing for real estate projects. We are recording from the historic home of world-renowned architect Michael Graves in Princeton, New Jersey. Check out this amazing space for yourself at the Michael Graves Architecture and Design YouTube channel. Now, let's build something. Today, on this special episode, our guest is architect Apurva Rao. Apurva is a senior architectural designer at Michael Graves Architecture and Design, where she has worked for almost three years. She previously interned at Joshua Zinner Architecture and Design and Luckman Tang Architects. She also did research at CEMEX, the Mexican Construction Materials Manufacturer. She received her Bachelor of Architecture degree from Syracuse University and grew up here in New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining us today, Apova. Thank you so much for having me, Arthur. Absolutely. So walk us through the path to becoming a senior architectural designer at the firm. And uh, tell us about the people along the way that helped you out. I grew up in New Jersey to Indian parents, and I am first-generation Indian American. So my journey starts off on kind of a, a unique note, I guess. The way that I got to architecture is that I didn't want to be held to other people's standards. So I, <laughs> in my journey was trying to avoid becoming an engineer or a medical person. Yeah, a doctor (laughs) or a finance or a lawyer. And I'm like, what what is possible? So I gave my mom and my dad a couple of options. I was like, I'm going to be a WNBA player. And they were like, no. (laughs) And then I was like, artist, definitely artist. And, you know, after short deliberation, they were like, no way. (laughs) So I looked around and my, my cousin's sister in India was the only other person that I knew who was doing a field that was not something that would bring you to economic stabilization, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. And she did architecture in India and then did her master's in Glasgow. And while this was happening, I was like, that seems like a very cool thing to do. And the only other person I knew in my family who did uh, a different profession was park ranger. So I thought that was very awesome. So either between park ranger or architecture. So when I was in high school, I went through quite a few things. I used to play basketball all the time. And mm-hmm. I thought for a really long time that that's what I would do. And in the middle, of, you know, when I played JV varsity, it came to 
quite a halting end and I kind of went into a weird spiral where I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life because, you know, coming from an Indian American family, you're expected to have a higher education as mm -hmm. like the paramount. And so I didn't know where I would end up. And I threw myself into art in, in high school and ended up winning a lot of, you know, competitions and things like that. So I thought, you know, maybe <laughs> architecture would be feasible. And so I got into architecture school and I'm like, now that I'm here, you know, what do you do now? Mm -hmm. And my first summer in architecture school, I was able to you know, have an internship with my professors who took us to Switzerland. And so that's when I started working for Semex for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Got to see what the materials, science, part of the world look like in research and architecture and got to do a couple of research projects in tandem and went around Switzerland and eventually, you know, studied abroad in Italy and got to go around Europe and, you know, in tandem every time, you know, my parents would go back to India, I would also go back with them. So a lot of exposure to architecture made my love for this art and this craft grow even more. And that kind of brings us to the towards the end of architecture school I did my thesis and that was influenced a lot by my family my culture my community but also mm -hmm. for my passion for theology and philosophy and all of that coming together from my various passions like my mom runs a dance school so because of that I had a lot of exposure to dance on a very deep level because it was everything from learning to teaching to history, mythology, performance, what it takes to set up a performance, go through a performance, make sure that you are constantly questioning what you're doing because, mm -hmm. you know, Indian classical dance is a, a living art and the way that it was taught before is not how it's taught now. So that influence really brought itself into my thesis. And I did my thesis on rocket ship temples because, you know, at the end of school, you want to do something that is going to like fuel your passion and your interest. And I love space <laughs> and theology and everything that goes along with it. So my fascination kind of led me to this place where I was researching temples in India and then also in Hinduism in like you know various parts of its theology believes in a circular like reincarnation and whatnot so mm -hmm. the time cycle is broken into four parts Krita Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapara Yuga and Kali Yuga and so that time cycle goes over and over and over again and so it was said that gods or deities inhabited earth at Krita and Treta Yuga and then suddenly decided uh, started to disappear as the yugas went on and by Kali Yuga, which we are in, they disappeared altogether. And so humans decided to create a living monument to those deities that were on earth and that became the temple. And so the temple itself is a Vimana. And so Vimana means chariot or vehicle. And so mm -hmm. it houses the deity that sits inside it. So the temple itself is a physical manifestation of the vehicle that holds the deity. And mm -hmm. it, its plan is 
based on the human body. And so every threshold that you pass is one part of the human body until you get into the womb, almost like to the, the Garbhagraha, like the inside of the temple itself. And so, you know, in this time cycle, if, you know, God was on earth and then disappeared, eventually in that time cycle, you would be able to meet God again, you know, theoretically. And so if I were to design the next evolution of the temple, it was it would be a temple that would rise out of the ground to meet God in the air. And, you know, that became the next evolution of what a temple would be like in the Hindu time cycle. And so that that's my fascination <laughs> with how all of this comes together. And it really drives my, you know, every day to know that you can design, you know, you can be a part of the next evolution of mm-hmm. a design typology that has been there for you know, thousands and thousands of years. And that's just the, the beginning. <laughs> At that point, I didn't know as much information as I know now. And every time I see it, you know, it gets more and more interesting. And I had the opportunity to go to India to actually research mm-hmm. all of that. And I took my entire family and just went from temple to temple, like, Thing, just crowdsourcing all the information I knew from my family, from mm-hmm. books that I had read, and just you know pinpointing all of the different historical temples, even if they were not in use, and just took a family trip all the way from Karnataka to Tamil Nadu and all the way back. And it was interesting because my family saw it in a very different way than I did. For me, mm-hmm. it was more observational, uh, seeing how ritual and the building and people interacted with each other and for my family it's more spiritual if that makes sense and so Mm -hmm. seeing those two sides of it was really interesting to be like an outside observer growing up in a traditional non-traditional south indian family Mm -hmm. lends itself to a whole different set of rules (laughs) you know (laughs) you're constantly going back and forth about what your identity is in relationship to religion, culture, community, mm-hmm. and all of that is extremely important to me, but I I would say that I'm a spiritual person, not necessarily a religious person, mm-hmm. and that affects one's identity all the time. It's like constantly questioning what that means to you and how you're, you are in service of your community or the community services you. So that has always been a fascination of mine is like how I can control the narrative of how either I'm perceived or how the narrative is changing for Indian Americans in America. So, yeah. And and then I applied (laughs) for a job after my thesis and exhaustion for about six months. Mm -hmm. And I ended up at Michael Graves and it's been incredible. I am deeply grateful to the mentors that, I was presented with along the way through my journey of architecture. I have always been helped by other people. I do not operate by myself. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, my high school teachers would encourage me to follow my passions. And when I got into college, my there were many professors that supported me in my path to you know becoming an architect and also supported my research and what you know my passions and what I love to do and my parents would always say you don't get what you don't ask for and that struck me 
very deeply because there are a lot of people, even you know, people of color, women, just don't ask yep. for what they want. And a lot of the times, if you don't ask, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my dad was like, what's the harm? You can ask. The, the answer is either yes or no. Yep. And so I made it kind of like a, a mantra in my life just to ask for things and see where that would take me. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, the people that you meet along the way when you say, I'm interested in this. Do you think you can help me? And people are yep. always willing to reach out and give me the guidance that I need. And I'm, I'm grateful. Even my basketball coaches, I even therapy, ADHD coaching, like I made a decision to advocate for myself and make sure that I gave the best chance that I had at success by Mm -hmm. making sure that I was taken care of in the, in the sense, like if I addressed all the things that I wanted to address, I would be in a, in a better place to make better decisions. And by giving myself the permission Mm -hmm. to, essentially be guided by other people and mentors, I have put myself in a better place to accept help and also to give help. So Aprava, you have a deep interest in another art form, which is dance. So tell us about that. It helps me a lot because even in the dance school, now that I, I teach as well, I am in a better place to teach those kids, not only about dance, but also how to learn how to teach other people interpret dances you know how they perceive the dance because a lot of these dances were written all the the poetry were written by men you know thousands Mm -hmm. of years ago and so their interpretation of how they view that piece might be very different from the young girls who are actually performing these pieces Mm -hmm. now to put that into context for them in the historical context in the current context like how they relate to this information and as indian americans there's this weird push and pull because you don't know how much how Indian you are or how American you are. And so Indian classical dance has always been a way for me to just like center myself mm-hmm. in that narrative. Because when I teach a lot of the students, the question is, why would they do that? Or like mm-hmm. when you have stories, why would they have done that? Couldn't they have done it differently? And yeah. when you're explaining <clears throat> mythology, it's <laughs> like, I, I don't know what I would tell you know, how you would change the narrative, but you can Mm -hmm. say, this is how it could have been done now. And, you know, that's how it was then, but this is the cultural context that we now live in. And it gave me a lot of stability and ability to be thoughtful Mm -hmm. in my own design practice. And when I'm talking to other people and communicating in the architectural world, it gave me a greater like sensitivity to, putting myself into the context of, you know, what would this person think if I communicated this or how would they better understand it? And so a lot of what Indian classical dance has helped me with is communication and how to get information across to people of different understanding. Mm -hmm. It's been incredible because I don't, you know, when you have a craft in such as dance, a lot of people think about it on a performance level, you know, what, is it that you can perform and what can you learn and you know develop and the more you get into dance as a craft you realize that it's much more than just the performance value it's yeah. a lot about you know putting yourself into the culture and 
learning other forms of dance or other forms of music and all of the art comes together in this like fantastic extraordinary mm -hmm. <laughs> tapestry where it's not only your culture but it's other people's culture that you know get incorporated into this narrative so Purba, given the varied interests that you have that you've described help me understand how you as an architect approach starting a new project in terms of for example like understanding the users or the types of people that will eventually be occupying the and uh, inhabiting this space what are the different processes that you use to take that first step as a designer given how nuanced and and thoughtful you are to your approach in so many aspects of your life the way in which i would approach a project would be to consult mentors first when you're starting a project that involves another culture that's that mm -hmm. complex requires a lot of sensitivity because everyone's glass is full if that makes sense you mean like time-wise so, i would say like design culture like there's oh, so it. much that is involved in culture that everyone's glass is full and if you go into a project where you're trying to service that particular community then it becomes incredibly important to know their needs before mm -hmm. uh, you start it, it's not about like you pushing your agenda to the architecture it would be because what you may think they need for that project is completely different than mm -hmm. what they would need for that project and so coming in with research and then asking questions before you start you know saying so listening would be the core concept of that would be listening to everybody synthesizing the information and saying is this what you meant mm -hmm. i guess that's just good communication in that case is the way that you communicate to people would be to to listen and mm -hmm. to absorb that information and to ask more questions and get to a point where you both of those people are on the same page. I think so. And I, I would say what has really allowed me to see that really clearly is now being the CEO of a technology company where we have spent two years building a product. And every day we ask ourselves and we literally talk to our clients every single day to understand what it is that their particular challenges are. So the product that we build is reflective of that. That's something that is relatively common within the product design technology arena. But shockingly, it's not as common, I think, within architectural design. Oftentimes, there are the assumptions that are made in terms of how people will use or occupy a space. And oftentimes, it's as you described, simply those conversations uh, that uh, can help uh, make sure that the perspective that you are starting from actually makes sense for the, the end user. So Aprava, given the runway that you have, you're just at the beginning of your career, what do you hope to accomplish in your time as an architect and say broadly with your one amazing life that you have? I don't know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. And I hope really not to do everything. I love learning about everything. And I would love to learn every day if I can. And as far as what I want to do with you know, the rest of my life, it would be to have courage because I grew up in a space of fear. Almost everything was always driven by the fear of something else. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision to, you know, 
after college to not live in fear. And so having courage every day is a testament to that. And so if I live courageously, other people can live with courage with me. I love it. I absolutely love that. And I think what, what you described reminds me about what my mom said to me when I was making the decision to leave Extel Development and start my own firm. She said, don't live a conditional life. Don't live a conditional life. And what that means is don't live a life where you say to yourself, I will be happy when. I will be ready when. I can do this when. I will be set when. All of those conditionals are the ones that short sell yourself in terms of your own capacity, your own intelligence, your own drive, your own courage, all of those different things. And I think that that feels like a very beautiful echo to your goal, which is to have courage every single day. And I love it. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today on this special episode of the American Building Podcast, Apurva. And listeners, if you want to hear the behind the scenes stories of how iconic buildings in our country were designed and built, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Anchor, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Rate and review us on iTunes to help us reach a wider audience and follow us on Instagram at American Building Podcast. My name is Atif Kader, and this has been American Building.